The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. So earlier this spring, I shared a series of messages that focused on spiritual growth and God's methods for producing that growth. And we called the series Further. And for five weeks, we answered the question, what does it take to go further in our walk with God? It's not often that I give a blanket statement on a Sunday morning, but this morning I'm going to give a blanket statement. So here it is. Every true disciple of Jesus Christ desires spiritual growth. Every true disciple. Now, we might not always desire God's methods or like his timetable or enjoy God's processes, but we do want spiritual growth. We want to go further in our walk with God. So in the series, I address five key areas of spiritual growth and how God brings about growth in each of those different areas. Week number one was further in faith. And we study God's method for developing Elijah's faith out of 1 Kings chapter 17. I stress the importance of trusting God and trusting his word. Every moment of trust is a moment of growth. Anytime God is telling you, trust me, it is an invitation to go further in faith with him. So on that morning, I gave one basic statement that not only applied for that message, it also applied for the entire series. Today's trust is tomorrow's victory. Today's trust is tomorrow's victory. Week two was further in prayer. And we studied God's method for developing Elijah's prayer life out of 1 Kings chapter 18. I shared that your growth in faith and your growth in in prayer are inseparably linked together. That is, if you don't believe God will act, you will not ask God to intervene. So your faith life and your prayer life will always go hand in hand. The pattern in Elijah's life was tell God what you need and trust him. Week three was about further in intimacy. We studied the story of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And I emphasize that our first calling is to intimacy with Christ And ministry is what God does out of the overflow of intimacy. But it's by spending time with God that he produces the change in us that he then desires to live through us. So that morning I had one big idea. Intimacy produces usefulness. Week four was further in service. And we studied the story of the Good Samaritan. If you'll remember, it's a story that many times has been presented the wrong way. The story is not go out and serve like the Good Samaritan. But rather the story is that true service flows out of a heart of love and only Christ can bring that type of love through you. So it's not go try more in your strength. Rather, it is love more through his power. So that morning, our focus was going further in service is a selfless journey of God-loving people through you. That brings us to week number five. It was further in love. And we studied Jesus' connection between love and obedience out of John chapter 14, verse 15, where Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, if you'll remember in that one, he was not saying your love needs to be proven by obedience. He was saying, your love will be manifested in obedience. In other words, as you continue to love God, making that the priority, obedience is the natural fruit, the result that just begins to flow out of your life. Further in faith, further in prayer, in intimacy, in service, 
as well as in love. Each message was laying part of the foundation for our message this morning. This morning, it's celebrating 14 years as a church. This morning, we are continuing to press into the vision that all may know Christ and make him known. This morning, we are continuing to pursue that vision. We're continuing to ask God, what is the next step of the journey supposed to look like? And as we are continuing to walk with God along this path, we're asking the question, what does it take to go further in vision? The first five messages were about us as individuals. This message is about us as a church. So I invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'm speaking this morning on the subject of further envision. Further envision. Let's read the text, we'll pray, and we'll move forward from there. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we are to walk away with the truths that you desire for us to receive today, a part of that hurdle is going to be for us to see these words in a different way, maybe a deeper way from a different angle. God, I need you to do that this morning. I pray that you would help us to see what it looks like to go further in the vision that you have established for your church at large. In Jesus' name, amen. If we are talking about going further in vision, I think it's only appropriate that we would take a few moments and actually define vision. There's a lot of definitions that are out there. I'm going to give a very simple definition, and then I'm going to give a number of other qualifying statements to kind of work around it. So here's my, my simple definition. That is, vision is a dream on wheels. And that is, it's more than daydreaming, it's more than wishful thinking, it's more than hoping something is going to happen, but rather, vision is a dream on wheels. Vision does not predict the future, it describes a preferred future. Vision looks out somewhere into the future, maybe five years, 25 years, 50 years or more, and it asks the question, what future do I want to see? And from that vantage point, somewhere out in the future, maybe at a time in your life where there's far more memories in your rearview mirror than there are opportunities on your horizon, at that moment, you're asking the question, and the question is, will I be happy with what I see? Has my contribution mattered? Have I given my life to anything of eternal significance, something that brings about meaning and fulfillment and purpose in this life? People need vision. That's the reason the Bible is very clear in the book of Proverbs. Without vision, the people perish or they cast off restraint. God has made us with eternity imprinted in our heart and significance whispering into our souls. He's made us for something more than simply existing. He has made us for a bigger purpose. So whenever we can see that preferred vision in the future, vision then turns back and asks the question, what can I do today to live in that reality tomorrow? That's the power of vision. Vision not only allows you an opportunity to dream, but vision compels people to act. Vision looks at that preferred future, but then it adds on top of that this idea of direction and motivation for those people who follow. And we need both of those. We need direction to know where we're going. We need motivation because all along the way, vision is going to be costly. Here's what I can tell you after years of pursuing vision with God, and that is it is vision that gives purpose to the pain. 
Because along the way, as you pursue vision, I guarantee you it's going to be costly. I guarantee you there's going to be sacrifices that come up. It is vision that gives purpose to the pain. It reminds you of why you're continuing to do this and why you're staying in the race. It's vision that shows you the next step, and it motivates people to keep walking forward towards that preferred future. So the principles of vision not only apply in our lives as individuals, they also apply in our lives corporately, within churches, within organizations. So this morning, I want to be really clear on how it's applying in our life as an organization, as a church. Whenever you're talking about vision within the church, just know this. True vision is given by God, and it is fleshed out in prayer. What I mean by that is if you cannot find that vision somewhere in the word, chances are it came from one of us. And according to scripture, we don't want our best thinking. We don't want our best advice. We want to be able to step out in what God has planned for us. So the vision that I've shared many times, the vision that life shares, is that all may know Christ and make him known. This entire year has been about leaning into that vision. It is the preferred future that we want to see for this church. But I want you to know this morning, that vision did not start with us, and that vision is not going to end with us, but I will guarantee you of this, that vision will cost us something as we continue to pursue God. So we just read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and in the book of Acts, it describes this, this flourishing of the gospel, the vision of Christ that expands to the ends of the earth. So what you find is the entire book of Acts can be broken down into three main sections, each of which corresponds with part of what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So I want you to see that. I've included in your notes this morning. Section 1 is Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through Acts chapter 8, verse 4. In that time, they are witnesses in Jerusalem. They're focused on the Jews, and the events transpire over the course of two years. Section 2 is going to be Acts chapter 8, verse 5, through Acts chapter 12, verse 25. At this point, they are now witnesses in Judea and Samaria. They're focused on the Samaritans, and these events transpired over the course of about 13 years. Section 3 is Acts chapter 13, verse 1, through Acts chapter 28, verse 31. At this point, they are witnesses to the ends of the earth, they're focused now upon the Gentiles, and the events transpired over the course of around 14 years. All three sections can find their Genesis moment, the moment in which they're first brought up, back over in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So if all of that stuff begins to flow out of chapter 1, verse 8, I want to back up just a little bit from there and ask the question, what brought us into Acts chapter 1, verse 8? So here's what's just taken place. Jesus has already suffered. He's already died on the cross. He's already risen from the dead in bodily form. He's appeared before around 500 eyewitnesses, if not more. He's shown a number of proofs that he is alive, that he is physically raised from the dead. But just before he ascends back to heaven, he has some last-minute instructions for his disciples. And he told them before, back in John 14, he says, I go and prepare a place for you. 
Now, he did not tell them when he was going to go. He just says, I go and prepare a place. Now we're at a point in which he's about to leave. And as he leaves, here's some final instructions. If you were to look in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, you will see he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. What did the Father promise? Well, the answer was also found in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. He begins to build on this idea in John chapter 15. He says, when the helper comes, who I will send from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, this is important, he will testify about me and you will testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus promises that the helper is coming as the Father has said. The helper is the spirit of truth. The helper is going to testify about Jesus. And he said, and you will also testify about Jesus. He continues this same thought in John chapter 16. A little bit larger passage, but listen closely to what he says about the helper. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. I know that's a lot of scripture this morning, but if you don't see those three pieces coming together, you will miss how the church is formed how the vision of Christ is to expand, and you'll also miss the expansion of the gospel as it goes around the world. So in John 14, 15, and 16, here's what it tells us. The Holy Spirit is promised by the Father. So now in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples, wait for what the Father has promised. And to further clarify, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. In verse number 5, he says, Which you heard from me, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So look this way. Why did he need to tell them you need to wait for the, what the Father's promised? Because at the end of Matthew and at the end of Mark, he's told his disciples, Go into all the world. Go to the nations and make disciples. So at one point, he says, Go. And now he's saying, wait. Why do they need to wait? Because without the Holy Spirit, they're not empowered to go. It's in those 
chapters right there that we now see the role in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It teaches us that the Holy Spirit is our helper, our constant companion, the one who guides us into all truth, the one who testifies about Christ and convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's the one who discloses what is to come. He's the one who glorifies Christ. If you remove the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. There is no spiritual light. The gospel is going to fall on deaf ears. The truths of Christ will remain obscured and God does not abide in us. There would be no church to go. There would be no power to enable. There would be no vision to fulfill. It is no wonder he said, wait. In other words, you might be eager, but you can't do what I'm calling you to do yourself. You don't have the resources to do what I'm calling you to do yourself. You might be willing, but it's not about your willingness. You might be talented. It's not about your talent. What I'm calling you to do requires the power of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish. So you got to wait. So here's what he says again, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Let's pause there. When did the Holy Spirit come? day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. So we have to now look at it through the lens of history. How has God revealed himself? How has it unfolded? So for them, they were waiting for the spirit who was promised. We are walking in the spirit we already enjoy. For us, it is no longer wait. For us, it is full on go. Go. It's no longer you need something before you go. Now it is you are fully equipped for what he is calling us to. So let me give you three really quick truths about witnesses found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Here's the first one. Witnesses are endued with the Spirit's power. I know that's not a word you get to use often. After the first service, an English teacher came to me and said, I was so excited when you used the word endued this morning because uh, it's just one of those fun words. But here's what the word means. It means to provide ability, enablement, grace, gifting, equipping, and supply. We have the helper. We have the spirit of truth who abides in us as believers. So because of him, not us, because of him... We have the ability, the enablement, the grace, the gifting, the equipping, and the supply to do whatever he's calling us to do. Anything he's calling us to do, we are now called and equipped and gifted and supplied in order to do that. So what's he calling us to do? This is point number two. Witnesses are called to testify about Jesus. A witness is someone who testifies about what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they've personally experienced. In a trial, attorneys on both sides call witnesses to the stand. And whenever those witnesses show up, they're not just supposed to say anything that comes to mind, but rather they are to speak on what they have seen, what they have heard, or what they've personally experienced in relation to the case at hand. Here's something else that you'll find about a witness. A witness doesn't call themselves to the stand. You don't see somebody that's just sitting out in the courtroom say, hey, judge, I know you're not asking. I just had a couple of thoughts on my mind, so I'm just going to go ahead and step on up and share a few things. You don't find that because witnesses are called upon to testify. Now, how does that apply to you and I? Jesus said, 
you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. When people want to know about him, about his message, about his life, his death, when they want to know about the good news of Jesus Christ, he said, they're going to come to you. And when they come to you, your job is to be a faithful witness. You are to testify of what you have seen, what you have heard, and what you have personally experienced in relation to Jesus. You're not supposed to get up and tell them everything you know about religion. You're not supposed to get up and tell them everything you know about spirituality and self-help. You are to testify of what Jesus has done in your life. That is where people get excited because your story is something that people can see the change. They can hear the change. They can look at how God has either brought marriages together or families together, how he's given purpose, how he's given freedom over addiction and sin. You just simply share him. This is what Jesus has done for me. In other words, you're his witnesses. He said, when they want to know about me, they're going to be coming to you. Your job is to testify. So where are we supposed to testify? He tells us, this is the third point. Witnesses are to take the gospel from here to the ends of the earth. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Jerusalem was local for them. Judea and Samaria were the surrounding regions. The remotest part of the earth was everything further than that region. It was international. Now, here's a good word. I've been trying to share it all morning. I think I'm the only one excited about it, but I'm going to still share it anyway. Hopefully somebody, maybe at least one person is going to grab this one today. The gospel has always been intended to go further. So we're talking about further. It's on the screen right now. This isn't something we came up with in 2018. So the gospel has always been intended to transform your life, but it was never intended to stay just with you. That's the reason the vision of this church is that all may know Christ and make him known. Not some, not a few, not a couple, not just us, but rather that all may know Christ and make him known. For us, Las Vegas is our Jerusalem. It's the local area he's called us to serve. Our job in this city is to be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ right here in the valley. But Christ's vision still goes further than that. The West is our Judea and Samaria. It's the region that he's called us to reach. That's the reason why we continue to partner with different ministries on the West. That's the reason why we want to serve and encourage other churches. That's why we are starting other churches and why we're starting other campuses. Because it's the region that he's called us to reach. But Christ's vision goes further than that. The nations are our remotest part of the earth. It's the world he's called us to love. That's why we've sent 30, or that's why we've sent teams to 31 nations around the world. That's why we have used kingdom dollars in order to go and to train leaders and to invest in churches and global ministries and to bring about resources and discipleship that help other groups. It's because it's also about the nations. Jesus told us to keep going further. And while we're called to go further, here's something I want to be really, really clear about. As you're called to go further, it doesn't mean you don't bloom where you're planted right now. This is the city God has called us to. We got an amazing city that we get a chance to love. In this city, here's what I'll tell you to be the honest truth. People either know that you love them or they think that you're going to try to use them. 
Ours is a city where people are already suspicious about everyone and everything. So when the gospel comes out in its fullness, people know that's not of that person. That person wants something for me. They don't want something from me in this. Here's a wonderful statement that is used in missions. Key statement comes in with our series this morning. The light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. So think about it. We have one of the brightest lights on the planet sitting on top of Luxor. If you were to go out and stick your head above that light and look down, you're going to lose some retinas. It's not going to be pretty. You could be in space and you can actually see the light that comes from Luxor. So it shines far away, but you know where it's brightest? Right here. It's right where it's located at. So as we've just tried to be witnesses for Christ right here, God is blessed. He's taken four adults out of a prayer meeting, and he's moved that into over 1,900 people that are part of biblical community. He has blessed us now with two campuses and five weekend services and more than 1,200 professions of faith. He has allowed us to serve over 40 different ministries and nonprofits right here in our city, invest in over 200 churches in the state of Nevada, and to plant another 14 churches across America. All of that has simply been us living out the vision that all may know Christ and make him known. He keeps taking us further. So as he is blessed us along the way with numeric growth at our current rate of 23% growth every year for right at 14 years. In the next two years, there'd be over 2,800 people who are a part of life. In the next three years, that will be over 3,500 people who are a part of life. As he takes us further, here's what I can tell you. We keep running out of stuff. So we have run out of worship space, children's space, student space, adult classroom space, office space, parking space. You name the space, we don't have the space. We just keep running out of space because we have been using everything in multiple purposes along the way. So at the same time, we find that for three years, as we keep running out of that space, we continue to ask God this question. How can we be good stewards of your vision, of your people, of your resources, and of this opportunity? And as we've prayed and said, God, how can we do that? That's what has led us to start multiple services, to start another campus and to master plan the current campus that we're out right now. Something that we share all the time at the Northwest Campus is that life is one church, we're just in two locations. But both of those locations use this location for office space and mops, awana, form, nights of worship, prayer events, as well as missions meetings. So the question now becomes, how is God leading us to go further at this particular point in the journey? As best we can discern through prayer, our next step is to go further in expansion. From 2012 to 2014, there were 56 households representing around 350 people who said we're willing to go further in phase one. You're worshiping this morning in phase one. This was the first part of the expansion plan. We built what we could afford at the time without our, hindering our ability to do ministry. This facility altogether without the land cost right at $3.1 million. Well, 
Today, in 2018, there's now more than 1,900 people who are part of this church, and we believe that this is the group that is now being commissioned with phase number two. So I want you to see a couple of pictures of what phase number two is going to look like. If you look on the right, you're going to see our current building. Phase number two would be the building right across the plaza from there. The projected cost of expansion will be around $5 million. Our goal in this is to keep several months of operating expenses and savings to raise above and beyond the tithe $2.5 million over the next four years and then pay off the remaining amount of the loan within the next five years. Here's another image to kind of tighten in the shot. This is one that is from standing down at ground level and you're looking back at what the building would be like. So this is a building that we're designing in order to provide space in a number of key areas. So here's a floor plan view I want you to see. The new expansion will allow us to be able to seat right at 700 people within the worship service. That's about three times the amount of people we're currently able to seat. It'll provide additional classroom space, be a coffee area with tables and places to sit, a studio for us to continue to create worship and discipleship resources, and a comfortable plaza in between this building and the next for people to be able to connect with other friends and family between those services. It also allows us to repurpose this facility to care for the needs of a growing kids' life ministry and form student ministry. So as we continue to go further, and every single year, God has taken us further and further within the vision. I want you to see what God has done in just five years. The reason I'm saying five is because today is when we celebrate our 14-year anniversary as a church. But it's also today that we celebrate five years being right here in this building, Life Community Center. So here's what God has done in five years since moving in. Weekly attendance is up 275%. Weekly giving is up 231%. If you included debt reduction and what we give towards missions on top of that, that number would be up at 343%. Of the 1,200 professions of faith that we've seen, 877 have happened within the last five years. Our student ministry has tripled. Our group's ministry has quadrupled. We've been planting more churches, sending more short-term mission trips, and creating more discipleship resources than ever in our church's history. And things are just getting started. So here's my next question. To go further in vision, what are we asking of you right now? I've got several things. They're in your notes. They'll also pop up on the screen. First, be prayerful. As God continues to give us wisdom through expansion, pray that he would help us to navigate this well. Pray that God would also go through and speak into your heart and let you know how he wants you to be involved in the process. Second piece is be flexible. During construction, there's going to be areas taped off. There's going to be dust flying. There's going to be us trying to do everything we can to foster an environment of discipleship so that we can continue to grow during this period of time. But at the same time, we need everybody to be flexible with us in that. Our 1015 service, some of you might have been to our 1015 service, but our 1015 service has been getting so filled that literally on each week, we're seeing people standing in the back, standing down the aisles, waiting for children to leave so that they can find a place to sit. 
That's one that we have brought at every single chair we have. So here's what I've been encouraging that 1015 service to do. Anybody who's able, join us at 1145. It's time that they should make some new friends. You all need to meet some of these people that have been in the 1015 service. I'm encouraging them. Try out the, the second service. Try out the first service. Because that is the one worship hour that the most new people are going to show up in. And for us to continue to grow in this period of time, anyone who is able, we're asking them to join us on one of these other services. Great thing about this service, great thing about the other ones, you could stretch out a little bit. Nobody's going to be bumping your coffee out of your hands on Sunday morning. When you praise God and lift your hands, you're not going to be elbowing somebody in the face. It's a good service to be in. And it's temporary. So anyway, we're asking people to be flexible with us in this. Here's the next one. Be generous. I know money is one of those things that it is kind of taboo to talk about money in the church. Most of you have been here for a long time and you've never heard me talk about money. The reason is because God's not broke. We believe with all of our heart that our job is not to strong arm anyone into giving. Our job is to share what scripture teaches on the idea of stewardship and to show what God is doing and give people an invitation to join in with his activity. So that's what we want to do in this. Nobody's going to be coming to your house and pressuring you on anything. We ask you simply to pray about what God is doing and ask God how he would have you to be involved. And here, something you're not going to hear from a lot of pastors. If God says nothing at this time, I'm not going to ask you to give. Because again, our God's not broke. I would rather people give under the direction, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and with a joyful heart than for people to feel like I'm pressured into doing something that they're not ready or sometimes even able to do at that time. Our thing is just let God direct you in this. The next piece here is we're asking people to be informed. If you have questions, just ask us about those things. As you leave today, there's going to be two different types of brochures that you'll receive. One is describing what the campaign is doing, gives pictures in there so that you can see. Another one is describing how it is that people can give financially on this. In our next two Sundays, on the 14th and on the 21st, Basically, they're going to be commitment Sundays. And what we're doing is we're asking people, pray over the next week or two. And as God leads you, simply write out what it is he's leading you to do. Drop it in the offering place or in the drop box as you leave. That's it. So we need to know that, though, to understand how we're supposed to budget over the next couple of years. Here's the last piece. Be involved. We need everyone to be involved at some level. So whether or not that's somebody saying, Paul, at this point in my life, all I can do is pray for you. I'll be glad to get your prayers. Somebody else might say, Paul, I don't have any extra resources to give, but I'd be willing to serve an extra Sunday to help out. We would be grateful for you to serve that extra Sunday. It's not the amount. It's the fact that we're needing people to be involved. So let's bring it all together. Life's vision is that all may know Christ and make him known. It didn't start with us. It's not going to end with us. But it's definitely going to cost us something if we continue to follow it. We started in Acts chapter 1 because this is where Jesus is sharing his vision for what the church is going to be. If you were to go all the way to the very end in Acts chapter 28, you'll notice as you read Acts 28, it ends abruptly. It almost seems like it ended at the wrong place. It didn't end with, and everyone lived happily ever after. It ends abruptly. Here's the reason. 
Because God is currently writing Acts chapter 29 right now. It's what he is doing in the world today. You and I get a chance to be a part of what God's story for all eternity is going to be. He is writing chapter 29 as we speak. So here's my question for you, just a thought as we leave today. That is, one day down the road, when you are kind of in golden years, and you're looking back at more memories in your rearview mirror than there are opportunities on your horizon, will you be happy with what you see? Will you be able to look back and say, I thank God for the fact he's allowed me to invest in things, time, talent, and treasure that's going to outlast me? Or will you look back and say, man, I wish I'd have been more focused on what God was doing in this world instead of focused maybe on some things I wanted to do at that time. As a church, we're going further in vision, and I'm excited about it. I pray that God would show you exactly where he'd have you to be a part of that process. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We ask you, Lord, at this time that you would allow us to be able to prayerfully consider exactly how you want us to be involved. God, we know, we know, we know that apart from your spirit doing the work, it's not going to happen. So God, would you continue to do the work in our lives And Lord, we will be thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.